Start date 10.16.2020. Welcome to Star Trek Discovery Pod, a kind of smart, kind of funny podcast about new Star Trek and beyond. I'm your reluctant captain, Mike Garcia. With me on the view screen for this exciting night, we have Mariah Gossett, Clyde Haynes, and Grant Davis. Disco is back for season three. Disco's back. Burnham's back. And that's about it so far. But there's a lot to talk about. We're so this back. week, well, yeah, Mike, we've been back. here. We've been here. <laughs> but we've the, been whole, here but... the whole crew is back. Well, I'm back. Clyde's back. Uh, so this week, of course, we're covering the season three premiere of Star Trek Discovery. That Hope Is You, part one. It's a whole new galaxy, people. A brand new Star Trek. Again. Woo. We'll dive into it in a moment. Before that, Mariah, can you tell everyone how they can support this here little baby podcast? Oh, yeah. There's something super easy that you can do. It's just making sure that you're subscribed to the podcast so that you do not miss an episode. So whether that's on Apple, Spotify, or YouTube, if you're subscribed on YouTube, make sure you hit the notification bell so you know when we're going live so that you can join us for our chat. Um, and if you need to find links to anywhere the podcast is available, all of that is at StarTrekPod.co. And following up on that, I'd like to promote patreon.com slash star trek pod that's where you can go to give us a per episode pledge give us a buck or two per episode every time we put out an episode you get charged if we don't put out an episode no charge to you so it's a pretty good deal for you guys give us two bucks an episode and you'll be admitted to our exclusive slack channel where you can join a bunch of other fellow like-minded enthusiastic trekkies talking everything trek we would love to have you guys come join us over there and we try to do bonus exclusive content just for you. Once again, that is patreon.com slash Star Trek pod. Thanks for all the support. You know, it's great when I'm when I'm not here and I, I can't be here. There's there's the podcast. I love listening to kind of you guys and us talk about Trek. But you know what's better than that? It's being here live. And so if you are watching us live, you're watching us on YouTube or Twitch or wherever you're watching us, check this out. If you put capital P, capital O, capital D in the chat, that'll let us know that you, you have a comment or a question that we'll try and get to by the end of the show. So you can interact with us live. So if you're watching us live, chat along with us, make comments, let us know what you think, what you thought about the show. I think a lot of people liked it. Some people might not have liked it that much but we'll uh we'll get to that but yeah come on chat, man. Along, chat along with us live <laughs> yeah and uh to those of you who are watching live and you want to support the podcast uh definitely download the podcast too. subscribe to the pod uh the audio version we definitely need those downloads thank you so much all right let's uh let's crash this red angel suit right into the dirt it's time to dive into season three the season three premiere of Star Trek Discovery That Hope Is You Part One. This app was written by Michelle Paradise and Jenny Lumet and the Alex Kurtzman and directed by Olatunde Osun Sanmi. Okay, as some of you might know, this is Star Trek Discovery Pod. We do not do hot takes. No. We do mm. hot freaks. Hot freaks! Hot Freaks time. That was uh, a very strained Hot Freaks. That was a weird <laughs> Hot Freaks. Not feeling that one. Uh, I wasn't comfortable with that Hot Freaks. I feel a little. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, awkward. Weird. You wanna you wanna drink some hot tea and do that over? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I can. Hot uh, Freaks. How's that? Better. Just like better. Something clean right. and simple. No. Yeah. Yeah. You okay, guys, it's um, a new season. It's a new Hot Freaks. New season, new hot breaks. I don't All know right, how I feel uh, about that, but I do know how I felt about this episode. <laughs> well, tell us, Mariah, let's hear your hot break first. Um, I love it. And I'm just going to say I have a small humble brag. So I was a uh, guest on the Strange, uh, a Strange New Pod, who are some friend, uh, friends who also podcast about Star Trek. We're all just one big happy family. No and we were, t- we were <laughs> talking about... Uh, what we thought this season was going to be about because there was a rumor it was about the Omega particle as as far as like what caused the burn. In my theory, it was all around dilithium crystals because we all know this show loves crystals. So I was just firstly very proud of myself <laughs> for that official predictus that was on tape. Anyway, 
So into this particular episode, I really loved it. I mean, I had a full emotional like roller coaster. I laughed. I cried. Burnham on poppers was very enjoyable. Um, I also really thought Sonequa Martin-Green got to flex her muscles here to find different emotional, like, just different emotions for Burnham. Like, we're kind of beyond her Vulcan upbringings at this point. She has literally sacrificed it all. I love that she's having this sort of introspective high moment when we're in the merchantile. Uh, I also thought the chemistry between her and Book was uh, was very palpable. Um, I, I heard they actually did not meet each other until they were at a table read. Um, and then they didn't even get to do like a, uh, a chemistry. chemistry. Yeah, they didn't get to do a chemistry te- uh, check or anything. It was just like fully reliant on casting directors knowing what they were doing. And I thought they did a great job. So like that, their first scenes together are their first times meeting. And I thought it was yeah. really incredible. Um, but yeah, and I appreciated Burnham being our audience surrogate throughout all of this, because I would have just as many questions as she does. And I think after falling through space, smacking into the ground, learning that your Federation doesn't exist anymore, the structure of your entire life is gone. I would probably be as emotionally uh, drained as she is at this point. So I thought it was a great episode. All right. Coming hot out of the gate with some positivity. Who wants to go next? Uh, I'll go. Good, okay. Grant. I was really loving this. I guess I'm just kind of in the zone and and hungry for this type of show with this positivity, this, this futuristic sci-fi that's going on here. They took on a pretty heavy burden and we've seen some other shows attempt something like this, which is almost this kind of reboot of their world and their whole narrative and having to kind of restructure things after everything in their world has already been established. They're jumping way into the future. They have to re-envision this and they have to guide us into how this narrative is going to play out, which is no easy task. So I, I can understand how parts of this episode will seem a little bit heavy handed and how, how things are being described and just kind of catered to us, but they need to kind of move through this a little bit quickly if they want to be able to bring the rest of the crew in and, and have us just kind of established in this world. That said, um, I liked it. I really love the vision, uh, the future tech, um, this kind of trashed out space that they had. Outer space is just full of junk uh, when they're, they're flying through it. And um, the characters, the, the vision of this new world, how we've seen some of these alien races uh, in the past are, are have different relationships with each other and a different dynamic. Um, and then just kind of overall this... Um, this kind of character study on Michael Burnham, who we've known to be this really uh, closed off and, and sheltered emotionally distant person, given her upbringing and her uh, woman of two worlds coming from a, a Vulcan, uh, whatever you call it, uh, being raised upbringing. upbringing, Mm -hmm. It's a word. Uh, And her being paired with someone who is, so completely the opposite, such an empath that he communicates with animals and he's, he's almost distant from, from humans in so much as he loved or, you know, other human like beings in how much he cares for um, creatures. And, and he's so in tune with that. I think it, it makes a really interesting juxtaposition that is going to allow a lot to be brought out of uh, Michael Burnham's character. I mean, I don't know. I, I thought it was really fun to just kind of be back in this world. And I'm excited to see where things go from here because I thought it hit a lot of these really good build-up moments of, of emotion and the, the swell of, of pride and, and this weird kinship I think I'm more and more feeling with what represents Starfleet and what represents Star Trek in this, in yeah. this kind of world. it took you long enough to get here. I'm liking it. <laughs> That's great. That's great to hear. Um, All right, Clyde. Look, I wouldn't trade who I am for anything, and I wouldn't trade this premiere for anything. I absolutely loved it. Um, I thought it was shot so beautifully. Like, the imagery, whether we were outside or whether we were looking at the tech of the the ships, the new technology, um, I, I couldn't get enough of it. 
And I don't know if it was just because it has been so long and I my anticipation was so high, but it delivered. Like I'd been looking forward to this um, for a long time. And even today, it's one of those things where I didn't want to wait till the end of the day. Like I was like, how fast? When do I have some time in my day to watch this? Um, and it delivered. Like, you know, to echo what Mariah said about Sonequa Martin-Green, she was phenomenal in this. And I, I think if if I wasn't a fan, I'm definitely a fan now. And I looked up and by the end, I was like, I'm a bigger fan. Like, I thought she had an incredible performance. And to quote uh, Kevin Corlett in the chat, yeah, Book is charismatic AF. Like, I thought he had so much to the table, brought, brought so much to the table. And I love the fact that, you know, we first saw him kind of as a uh, a thief, right? And I was like, oh, here we go again, the thief. I mean, isn't this exactly kind of what Ash Tyler was? But, um, well, thank you, home chicky. Um, but really <laughs> what we're talking about was he's this noble person and he's empathetic and sensitive. And I was like, yo, he's killing it. But he also is the guy you want next to you in a fight and can wield a portable transporter with the best of them. So, I mean, he just looks like somebody who's going to fit right in um, with the crew. So I love that. And then um, Cassie S. also said, and I agree with this, it was kind of where I was going, was the positivity. Like, you know, sometimes, like, everything in the world around us is just so negative. There's so much stuff going on. When I took a step back and look at this episode, there wasn't anything that you looked at and and really, I don't want to say challenged you, but was disappointing, right? It was, it, it was, it was, it was, I don't want to say cheery, but at the end of it, it just felt good. And sometimes you need to watch something that when you're done with it, when, when the credits roll, you feel good inside. And that's what this was. Like, there's a lot of stuff out there where when it's over, I'm like, I don't know how I feel about myself. Like, uh, am I am I sad? Am I concerned? Do I feel a little awkward? But this is one of those things where I was just left like, wow, that was great. And I was a little annoyed that I couldn't get right into episode, you know, part two. Like, I was like, man, this would be something I want to binge. Um, so all in all, I thought they did a fantastic job. Uh, I'm excited to see where the season goes, but I loved it. All right. Mike. Um, yeah. Clyde, you mentioned that this was a part one. And of a two-parter, we and never so it's kind of part two. I'm sorry. If you, if sorry to break it, but if you actually look at the title listings for the whole season, there's nothing labeled part two. Okay, interesting. <laughs> well, then why do that? that anyway. I don't know. Yeah, anyway. this was killing called the buzz, part... Mar- Mariah. You're killing it. Well, that being said, my my feelings and opinions on this episode are still cooking they're still evolving because i just watched it a few hours ago there was a lot to take in and i'm pretty i'm pretty mixed on it still but it is exciting to be in a brand new star trek era and to see this this creative team who has taken this show over the past two seasons even though we have some new people and some people gone but just to see them build this new universe and create new stories in a brand new era of Star Trek that we've never seen before. This is this is a brand new slate of my favorite franchise. It's exciting. There's so much potential for surprise and, and just new stuff and remixing of old stuff and learning how the stuff got new and how it got remixed. It's just, it's going to be fun. And I liked, I actually loved a lot of the world of the universe that we saw here, including that smuggler station with the Orions, the Andorians working together. The new tech was just like beautiful and superb and rendered so beautifully. They did all of this. They did most of this, of these effects from home, right? Mm-hmm. Most really? of this. Uh, it looks yeah. so good. It looks most of this so post-production good. was done remotely and it. <laughs> Around it so... for post-production, like, holy yeah. crap. So like... <laughs> good. So good. I mean, yeah rendered so beautifully and you know this is what is it what was the year 30 31 31 88 yeah so it it seems like it's going to be an exciting dangerous cool place and i want to see more stories set in this time frame and here we go um 
That being said, I was not a big fan of the episodic story we got here, which I thought was just kind of pretty rote. There were not a lot of surprises or unexpected elements. It was, it was for me, a lot of it was not very emotionally compelling. And I'm not sure if that was because of the direction or the acting, but I, I felt a lot of it seemed kind of melodramatic, uh, even more so than than this show usually is. And I know this is the first episode of the season. There's a lot to set up. Uh, there's a lot to kick off, and we're just winding up. But I, I would like to see some more substance than what we got, which was kind of like a pretty abbreviated space shoot 'em up a pretty serviceable laser gun chase. The pacing was kind of inconsistent. Um, you know, it was kind of substandard as an episode, but as a setup for a season, it was exciting. Um, I'm going to leave my hot freak on a good, on a good thing. I, I love David Ajala, and I think that's how you pronounce his name. I thought this was pretty inspired that that book is a hybrid of a space smuggler and like a green activist who can commune with his environment and other creatures in this cool, geeky, fucking sci-fi way. He and Burnham have really good chemistry. I'm here for more of that, for sure. They're going to bone. I want to see it. I want to see it all. We're on streaming. Let's see that. I really like the humor. Uh, it was a great counterpoint to like some of the overwrought melodrama in the opening and at the end. Um, so yeah, more, more Burnham on poppers. I'm here for that. It's good stuff. <laughs> they could have really leaned into like the grim, dark energy of the Federation being in tatters and and uh, dilithium being gone, and and they could have really like made this really dark and post-apocalyptic. But it was a fun time. They didn't lean into the darkness, and you know, I don't like Clyde said. I need positivity right now. Star Trek's going to give it to me, and. Mm. And that's what the show's doing. So, yeah, pretty mixed overall, but I'm super pumped to see where we're going uh, this season. I'm so excited, Mike, that y- some things didn't resonate for you, because I think that is uh, good grounds for us to have a, a fun discussion today about this episode. Because I, I agree, there-, there are certain parts of this episode that weren't hitting as well as they could, and... I mean, I think there's a good argument to be made that a lot of what this episode did could have been truncated into the first half hour with them being able to bring back the other ship maybe in the next half hour. Um, mm-hmm. But that but the said, world I mean, building was so cool. <laughs> yeah, it was. The visuals, the special effects, um, the directing and, and cinematography, all of this is just so gorgeous and so incredibly realized for this world. I love the the pinhead uh, technology of, of yeah. the, the oh, yeah. ship. I don't know what to call it, but you guys remember that pinhead thing where you used to be able to yes. dump pins onto your hand and you could show your hand mm-hmm. through a bunch of pins. Mm-hmm. So all um, <laughs> like little braids that pop up. Yeah. 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 So this, that technology like actually sort of exists already. Um, so it's like using air compressors and it reads your movements based on a camera and makes things rise and fall. So you can like move things around and interact with things like in completely other spaces. Um, my my spouse was like, I have seen this before. And then he found a video and it's really cool. So it's sort of like, wow, this is really based in sort of like like a small seed of technology that exists today. And so you get to see it in like its ultra futuristic version. That is so awesome. Yeah. I, so, I just, the sequence in the very beginning where we have the communication Starfleet guy who's all alone um, being woken up by the the parrot uh, clock so parrots, <laughs> and yeah. uh, then everything I, I just love kind birds, of dissolves so I love that. and reconfigures in his space. That felt so su- like such a fun one-off little sci-fi short story almost. Mm. Uh, I thought I was in this kind of bizarre Ray Bradbury kind of tale of the, this one isolated man in space uh, for a bit, and just visually everything was. Everything is so pretty. In this yeah, show. I mean, I it's so considered. Um, I don't know if y'all watch the the Ready Room about this episode yet, but um, there's some really cool interviews with the prop master for uh, for Star Trek Discovery, and he's going through sort of like the way the build outs work, and then the way that like the green screen interaction also works. But it's like 
Book's ship is almost completely real and built. The only thing that's like green screened are like the screens themselves. Right. And like there's a texture to the, the command center thing that they're playing with. And um, I mean, yeah, it just looks so good. Like that box um, that they pull the flag out of, like the top of the box, they pressed out of aluminum so that it would have weight to it. So when the actors are interacting with it, it looks real. Um, and then the bottom is made out of like a foam thing or whatever. So it's not super heavy. Um, but yeah, all of this stuff looks so good. And I think it's because it's that beautiful mixture of practical effects with the smart visual effects. And like, mm -hmm. man, was it so smart of them to, I mean, to do it in the first place, because I think it's what actually looks the best on screen, but especially moving into post-production, like I'm sure they were thanking their lucky stars that so much of it already looked so good so they didn't have to do so much stuff to it yeah, later. They can just layer on top of it. Yeah. yeah. Talking about book ship for a second. Let's let's have a little sidebar talking about book ship. This is like the coolest interior ship I think we've ever seen on Star Trek. He like, has a wood it was Oh my God. That lacquered wood lounge he has, that little nook. I was like, man, that is I want my bedroom to look like that. That is Swanky. so cool. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You, you could just tell that, you know, uh, e even that lacquered wood thing and the way the ship is, the fact that he has Grudge, the, the beautiful cat, the queen cat, just running around the ship. Before we even learned more about the character, all that stuff telegraphed who he was. He's a nature lover. You know, he's got wood on his ship. He has natural elements on his ship, uh, along with the technologically advanced elements that he has to have to survive. He has a cat on the ship. You know, what kind <laughs> of like dark smuggler who we think he is at the beginning like has a cat you know like it's just like han solo he has yeah. a big wookie big cat, cat as well <laughs> no, i loved cat. the explanation of her name that she's heavy and she's all mine mm -hmm. <laughs> i was like that's really i thought it was very funny i also like when he's like she is a queen he said that multiple times and so here's mariah's first official predictus is that this cat is a queen of some alien species. Oh, yeah. oh, like yeah. it's gotta happen, right? Yes. She's what? a descendant of the the doctor from uh right? Lower Decks. <laughs> <laughs> she's just she's a baby. Oh man. Yeah. <laughs> I, she's gonna grow when, up and stand on two feet. When when Burnham asked what's her name, I was part of me just wanted him to go spot. Like just I know <laughs> ah. it would not make any sense. But part of me was just hoping. <laughs> yeah. Spot. Uh, well, so. go ahead. Can we talk about the intro sequence where it is a flying through space with a ship? Because, man, that was very Star Wars for a Star Trek show. And I just <laughs> wanted to discuss how Star Wars it felt for a smuggler to be outrunning a bounty hunter through space who isn't talking like aliens generally talk in Trek. He's talking like how aliens talk in Star Trek. Why don't I buy blah, blah, blah. Star Wars. That kind of thing. Yeah. Star Wars. Yeah, yeah. that's what I mean. That's, he's talking like a Star Wars character and he, they're drifting through ship uh, space with a lot of banter that I'm not sure is actually even going between ships. It, it felt very Star Wars. It way. did. Yeah, it did. But also like especially in the short treks. If you watch some of these short treks that they've done, that new Trek has done, you see a lot of the, well, not a lot, but you see a good amount of the like ancillary world around the Federation, especially in the, um, the short trek that's all about Harry Mudd. Mm -hmm. You see this kind of stuff. You see like, you know, the smuggler culture in, in the Federation era. And you see these aliens who are kind of more Star Wars-y. So they definitely established that, you know, there's there's a lot more color and character than what we think of in Star Trek than the, uh, you know, the very like, the the the, good the, good the float good. the floating like Hilton that is the Star Trek <laughs> Enterprise, you know. Hilton. <laughs> but but to your point, Grant, we d there's not really if you go back, I guess Deep Space Nine might be a little bit different. But outside of that, there's not a whole lot of smuggler culture, right? But to your point, and I hadn't really, you know, because when I'm thinking Trek, I try not to think wars at all. Like, just don't go there. But yeah, Book's got a little Han Solo to him, actually. Like, he's got that swag, you know, like, oh, here, like, I'm not really should be here. But I'm like, 
You never quite know what's going to happen. Yeah. It's, I'm uh, a scoundrel and I'll double cross you at the first opportunity. Like he does. <laughs> and he does. I mean, it's a whole, it's a whole new universe. They're just pulling in ideas for characters and themes that are going to work in a new context, but it's mm-hmm. still Star Trek because we're still, um, framing the, the goodness and positivity that can be brought into the world as, oh, it's the Federation. And when right. the Federation's not here, we're missing something. So we got to bring it back. Um, that's where we all landed at the end, which was a sentiment I, I did appreciate. And I think all of us watching old Star Trek heads appreciate that. Like, oh, shit, a world without the Federation? What's this mm-hmm. show going to be? Oh, they're going to bring it back. Okay, yes. I like that. Yeah. Let's talk about Grant. You alluded to this earlier. A um, lot of focus on Burnham here. It was all her perspective. We spent a lot of time with Sonequa. We didn't see our Discovery crew. No Saru. Um no Tilly, no no Stamets, all our favorites. And you're saying maybe they could have split it up a little bit. Did you think that the pacing or the decision just to focus on Burnham in this episode was maybe a missed opportunity? Like, should we have gotten back and forth between her and the Discovery? Personally, I... I wasn't too bothered by it. I did kind of have in the back of my mind, like, this hope that we were going to see them. But then as things kept going along in the episode, I realized, Oh, we're, we're totally not going to see the rest of the crew unless it's at the stinger at the very end. But I already was aware as well from seeing the previews that there is a long period of time that has to pass before their ship shows up because mm-hmm. you see uh, Michael Burnham with her long hair later on. And so I'm like, okay, it's got to be at least three years that pass, right? Or so um, for her to be able to grow out her hair, for her to be established in this world and have an understanding before they come. And I, so I, I was like, I don't know. Maybe they're going to do a, a quick time jump at the end. And then that happens. But for them to kind of be grappling with that kind of idea, I think it made sense too have her be our focus, our conduit into this world, fish out of water kind of story, um, and having her be guided by this scoundrel with a heart of gold book. It's it's a tried and true, like you already said, Mike, classic uh, narrative structure, and I'm A-OK with it. Okay. I, I think I just wanted, like, uh, a little more meat to this one episodic story. You know, I I understand you and I were, were chatting before Grant and you said an ambitious series like this, when it's rebooting itself, requires a lot of heavy lifting mm. in terms of the, uh, the uh, explaining everything, right? The exposition, which we definitely <laughs> got a lot here. She definitely had to talk to herself a lot for us, the audience, didn't she? <laughs> You know, that's that's just it. I don't think she didn't. I mean, we got a nice previously on, so we knew she was going to end up, you know, almost a thousand years in the future. We kind of knew what her setup was, um, you know, and I think the exposition here and the pacing of it was was just a little too labored. Like, what, what needed to be communicated? The Federation is in pieces. Um, warp travel and communication is crippled universe-wide. There's like an old West vibe to different planets and colonies in the galaxy, kind of like Firefly now. And Burnham can't contact Discovery, but some like Federation fanboys, for lack of a better term, some Federation tryhards might help her find Discovery and bring back the goodness and ideals of the Federation to unite the galaxy once again. I mean, you can tell me all that and give me an episodic story that grips me and com- compels me emotionally, right? Like they gave me all that and I wanted that, but yeah, just, just felt just kind of like a, like a fun little Stargate Atlantis episode, you know? Ooh. I like Stargate well, Atlantis, but hey, it's, it's, it's not deep. It's just, it just wasn't so deep, but, I, uh... but I, but I, but I will, I will give it this. I just watched it once and um, probably if I watch it again, because I know a lot of people felt, um, that a lot of the love uh, that the Federation, the idea of the Federation got at the end of this episode was very emotionally compelling for, for a lot of Star Trek fans out there. I've, I've read that and seen that. And I know Mariah, I think you felt that way too. So uh, I'm happy about that. I'm happy some people got the feels here. 
Yeah, I'd say my two biggest, like the two portions where I felt the the wellies come up, you know, like the, oh, I could cry if I was in the right headspace sort of moment. You know, if you cranked on like a Grey's Anatomy soundtrack at the right portion of that moment, <laughs> tears would be streaming. It's um, been a long time. Not Stop that him. One. I will say... <laughs> So after this, I'm going to talk about the references that have that were made in this episode, but um, was when Burnham screams that life is still there, right? Like the mission works like you get that big goosebump moment and she goes through that roller coaster of like the mission has succeeded. I am all alone. And she's like having to tell herself who she is and give herself that motivational pep talk to get up and walk after literally being slammed into the ground. Um, you know, I could buried. feel just, mm-hmm. yeah, totally buried. I was like, dang, this is, you know, she gets up, she throws up like that whole opening sequence for her was so intense. Um, and then it, yeah, again, it, when she is unveiling the flag with that guy and they're shaking hands and she's like, you are a Starfleet officer, you know, right? and like that whole thing. Cause it was Will like, yeah, you accept is, the commission. Like this is where, <laughs> this is what Starfleet is, is people being dedicated to the mission of Starfleet. And so this guy is like this ideal in this world, right. That still exists for them. Um, so yeah, I thought those were like the two biggest emotionally sort of charged moments for me personally. Um, and I, I thought it was interesting. So you sang the enterprise theme song, um, enterprise and the original series beyond, uh, uh, disco are the only other two sort of main reference points we get in this episode. So we get the, um, oh, the war, the starts with the T the one with all the space time oh, the people. temporal cold war yeah, yes yeah, so yeah. there is the temporal From cold enterprise. war in enterprise and so eventually i guess it gets to a temporal war war which is why time travel has now been outlawed um so i thought it was interesting that enterprise gets a little uh reference there and then we get to know that the gorn ruined a bunch mm. of subspace which is from the original series um yeah So I thought that was interesting. And then the other like kind of reference back is the dilithium recrystallizer, which is what Poe invented towards the end of season two. Oh, yeah. And so we finally, I think, I think the next thing I wanted to talk to you all about were like thoughts about this burn explanation, because, you know, I thought, again, official predictus was correct. It had something to do with dilithium crystals because it has Mm -hmm. been something that has been talked about throughout multiple seasons is the fact that these crystals have to be mined. There's some unethical practices that sort of go along here. I think we're going to get a big environmental climate change pull for the rest of this season, especially now that we know about books connection to the environment. And he's like essentially saving all these animals. Um, but yeah, so it seems like full dilithium crystals in a warp core uh, exploded. Like essentially they became, dangerous and the federation was like we can't keep using these crystals for warp cores but it seems like you can still use small pieces in these dilithium recrystallizers and travel at like not as fast of warp speeds is what i understood fast impulse speed or something yeah yeah Yeah. before we we jump deep into what the burn could be we were talking references there was one great ds9 reference um, of course, of course, there was. But when Book is is uh, getting annoyed that that everything on his ship is broken, he mentions that his solar sails don't even work, mm. and solar sails mm. were from this great, great episode of DS Nine where uh, where Jake and uh, uh, Benjamin Cisco flew a ship that was powered by solar sails. Those are sails that are propelled by the sun. For those who don't know what solar is. Um, solar, okay. s- solar, you, you know uh, what? Solar you know, sails hey. actually exist currently, yeah, yeah. technologically yeah. wise. So, hey, right on. anytime Mike makes me feel like I'm not the geekiest person on this pod, is a good day for me. Thanks, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Mister. I read the entire Titan book series. All right, so the burn. Yeah, glad you brought this up. Dilithium is very rare, rare now. There's no warp travel. How did that? lead to the destruction of the federation was the burn a natural disaster or not cool thing about the burn means that we don't have warp travel anymore which puts the discovery spore drive way into play because we know the spore drive can can pop in and out all over the galaxy wherever it wants unlike any ship in this new time period because there's no warp so 
when D- Discovery comes back, even though it's it's a relic at this point, it's actually going to be loaded with technology that no one else has, probably, unless someone else has discovered a spore drive, but it doesn't seem like it. Yeah. I mean, it seems like it's one of those interesting butterfly effects, right? Because Discovery had to go into the future and get rid of itself. It also then took all of that technology with it that could have possibly saved the Federation from mm. the burn altogether. But you also but they had, had to this- leave to save everything. Yes, to save humanity from the crazy AI AI bots. Um, but yeah, I think that's. I think they can still do some, like maybe up to warp something because it seemed like they were traveling mm-hmm. at warp to whatever that sanctuary place was. So I, I, the question of warp to me is still a question mark as far as like how much that can do. And I saw someone ask the question of what did the Gorn do to subspace, mm-hmm. um, and I'm assuming it references back to. Um, there's a enterprise, not enterprise, um, a TNG episode where they talk about how above warp eight, 10, a high warp drive essentially crushes portions of subspace if used mm-hmm. too much. Um, mm-hmm. And I think the metaphor they give in that episode, I think data says the line. It's about like, if you walk on a piece of carpet enough, just over and over and over again, it gets worn and eventually ruined. Um, and so I think that is like what happened to subspace. Yeah, that's a good theory. Clyde, what are your theories about the burn? Do you think it was a natural disaster? Like, we just crushed us subspace by using warp technology too much? Or is there an enemy out there that destroyed the crystals? What's going on? You know, I'm a little bit torn, right? I, I had a clear view, but, you know, like always, Mariah ruins it. Um, <laughs> You're welcome. No, <laughs> no, but I like the fact that I think I think you might be onto something when you look at the environmental impact. Um, and the message that might be in Star Trek, right? So we are getting, I mean, the, what the, the uh, temporal worms or the um, mm. kind of whatever they were, that had a certain whale component to it to mm-hmm. me. And I was thinking, okay, so now we're looking and going, hey, in the future, in order for us to save ourselves, we have to be kinder to the planet, right? Mm-hmm. And so I can see that being a message. If that's mm-hmm. the message, then dilithium crystals kind of being like a fossil fuel and us understanding that that could be kind of put us in, in ruin makes sense. So you you kind of... Yeah, you're, on to, you're it, onto yeah. it. it could yeah. be, I think you're onto it. There could be like extremists, right? Because there are like right. extreme... in. There's extremists on all sides of things. And there are people who are, quote unquote, like environmental terrorists. There are people who go out and do these things to like oil company offices. I think this was like a much bigger thing in like the late 80s, early 90s, like when people would kind of smack talk things like Greenpeace at the beginning of a lot of this stuff because they would do these extreme demonstrations and like put Mm -hmm. up giant banners across like high rises and all this Mm -hmm. sort of stuff to draw attention. So Um, You know, because we did get logic extremists earlier in, uh, in, no, where, where did we get logic extremists? No, I think that's right. In Discovery? I think think it was in Discovery. Discovery and Enterprise, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, so, um, so it's possible we had, like, dilithium extremists. That, that being said, I can also see this being the result of some, of, of, dilithium being weaponized right i mean when i look at like i said environmental themes and messages make sense but also when i think back to the show right we had the whole idea of control we've had the prime universe we've had Lorca. i think you know before that we had the klingons there has been a big bad in some sense throughout the first two seasons um and it would kind of make sense if there was this plot to cripple the Federation by crippling their most important resource. And so I could see that, for all I know, it could be control. Like, this could be what control mm-hmm. was left to do when it couldn't get its hands on Discovery. Right? I know we're going to dive into comments later, but Captain... RGD says, has Star Trek ever done mm-hmm. environmental issues? Like Clyde was talking about, where the theme here seems to be, you know, coaxing on environmental issues. Definitely has done environmental issues in a number of episodes. Of course, in the famous Star Trek IV, 
movie. Save the whales. <laughs> where we had to save the whales to save the galaxy, for sure. Um, so, yeah, it makes – and I think that we've heard from the showrunners that this season is going to have a, a heavy um, uh, theme of pro-environmentalism, right? So, yeah, it makes sense that that is propelling the story. Uh, Grant. Can I go ahead and just tell you guys what's going on with the burn? Please do. Go for we it. Saw that, um, we, we saw that the Red Angel came flying in. And she shot that suit. I mean, badass scene uh, with Burnham uh, taking reboot, that suit reboot. off, jumping the, the and it, it's shooting off into space. I mean, she should totally be the next Iron Man. She could be Ironheart. Um, but I thought that she really made a point when she was talking to Book about like um, getting his name and telling him her name, and it was like this really important thing. Now we're not done with time travel and maybe at the end of season six or seven Burnham's going to have to strap on that suit and jump back into the past. And for some reason she's going to have to destroy all the, the time, the, the dilithium crystals. And right before uh, she finishes doing it, they're going to say, what's your name? My name's burn. <gasps> Boom. And no one hears the rest, but they heard burn and they're like, Oh, we named it the burn. All right. After. I had to stop that. <laughs> uh. <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> Sorry, Greg. <laughs> I had to drop Kicking Grant out of the stream of the because that was I such a long already. setup for a Burnham pun. So thank you. <laughs> I, I truly hope we did. That does not happen. No. Uh, but but you since had we're talking, I was with you there for a moment. Si- there. No. Yeah, you had me. I was like, wait a minute. What, he's on. This- nope. I was like, time um, travel. I'm here. Like, nope. Hey, okay, since we're talking Burnham puns, and uh, I hope that Burnham and Book are going to be a thing. Uh, what's going to be their the ship ship name? Yeah, Burn Book? Book Burn? What book them. Book them. Book them. Mm. Book Burn? Oh, no. <laughs> that has bad connotations, Miranda. <laughs> I know. <laughs> the, well, burn. The burn, y'all aren't Mean Girl fans? The Burn Book? Oh, Burn Book oh. is nice. Yeah, yeah. Not Book Burn, but Burn Book. No Fahrenheit 451 in here? No. I was. That's all I was thinking about. Mm-hmm. Salamanders yeah, yeah. and four fifty one. Uh, so, do we all like the relationship of them? Like their dynamic? Listen, I think it's cool that he is revealed to be this true believer in something bigger than himself. That is, um, he's connected to the environment. He's connected to other species. He has that in his heart and his mind. And, and he's, he's a dreamer s- and a, and a believer. And, and that's sexy. That connects him, that uh, that big piece of him connects him, I think, to Burnham. Because she is also a believer in something that's bigger and just larger than herself, which is the essence of the Federation. So they, he, they have a common, like, heart bond, I think. Mike, he's also very handsome. I mean, he's yeah, got I mean, the, the sexy part, the man. He's got a good abs. accent. He's got this Idris Elba vibe to oh, yeah, Grant, don't do it, don't do it, Grant, don't do it. Shirt off. No. I mean, (laughs) when he took his shirt off, I was like, that's a good looking man right there. I kind of was like, okay, I'm gonna hit some some sit ups tonight, do some crunches. (laughs) But like, I mean, I mean, he's he's likable. Yeah. You know, he's. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I like animals. He loves his cat. Also, yeah. a good point. Anything is better than Ash Tyler from WYSIWYG. <laughs> Thank bar, you, WYSIWYG. The bar was really low on that one. So, I mean, yeah. Yeah. I think I think it's going to be interesting. And I actually wanted to circle back where, Grant, you said you thought it was going to be like three years. I think they look far too much to be in that honeymooner, we got to kiss each other all the time phase. I'm saying it's like six months before we see the ship. Um, mm. Because I'm assuming that uh, synthesized, like, replicated uh, hair extensions are going to be really great. Um, and apparently it looks like Book knows how to do some really great braids. <laughs> <laughs> I would not doubt it. I would not yeah. doubt it. Um, I'm all okay. for it. So, funnest scene. I thought the funnest scene was the interrogation scene where oh, the, yeah. the dumb Orion... And the dumber Andorian are trying to interrogate Burnham, like in this corner. They don't even like put her in an office or lock her up. She and had there was like a, a barrier that was there oh, was okay. like yeah, a yeah. right, right technology. Duh. Yeah, okay. We don't and need then bars. They just, yeah, and they just dose her with this uh, true serum that just turns her into a high person. 
Yeah. I thought Sonequa did a great job with this. When she's a great comedic actress. When when you want her to do funny, I think it comes off way more natural sometimes than her like really like uh, overwrought melodramatic dramatic stuff. Mm. But with this, she was so great. And if, uh, there's nothing better, nothing funner sometimes in uh, a sci-fi show than having your main character being chased uh, by people uh, shooting laser guns at her while she's super high and she's laughing about it all. And we got that for about 15 minutes in this episode. And it was great. When she when she turns around and she sees Book like outright murdering a dude, and she's like, what? Yeah, her, her <laughs> that, face is so good. That it's just like, broke me. Oh. That was so good. Like, we don't do this in Star Trek. What do you do? We do now. <laughs> that was awesome. That was awesome. Yeah. You know, one thing I, I liked was because we've been watching Lower Decks. Um, You're desensitized. You say, what? Well, it's not, no, it's not that we're desensitized. But an Orion is not unfamiliar to us, right? Because of Tendi. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was like, that's a nice, really subtle introduction into this species um, that we've got. Like, it was like, oh, okay, yeah, green person. And we know a little bit about Tendi and her background. It, it kind of made sense. And I was like, okay, kind of Yeah, cool. it makes sense that the, in this world, the, the Federation's gone. Maybe a, a sense of hope and idealism is either gone or crumbling. So the Orions have kind of reverted largely back to their, you know, uh, Pirate smuggler days. Pirate smuggler trading days. <laughs> and then the Andorians, who used to kind of have more of a militaristic bully culture, are kind of their muscle now. Like, that that makes sense. I like that. And I like the remixing of putting them those two races together where before we didn't really see them together. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I'll say that, that, like, swooping on the merchantile felt like the upgraded version of like Blade Runner, right? Like the mm, well-lit mm-hmm. version of Blade Runner because it didn't have to be so dark to hide all the the oh, not, yeah. not as right. good CGI, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, it felt so real and there's like por- the, again, just like props to special effects and props because the mixture of the things that they did that was practical and the, the actual like visual effects I thought blended together so, so well. Um, for that full like laser fighty scene, I thought looked seamless and also smart on them for just going to Iceland to shoot this whole first episode because it really makes it feel like a true alien world. <laughs> what was that floating um, black market, whatever place they were in, the mer- merchantile, is that what we called mm-hmm. it? Um, yeah. Was that floating over top of a dead city or was that city still in operation? It looked to be know. still in operation. There was like stuff moving around. It just seemed oh, okay. like that is like the floating. I mean, it sort of makes sense. I would even think from like, like this is very nerdy of me to think about, but it's like if some slightly illegal things are happening, but it's not technically on the ground, so you don't actually have to follow. <laughs> you the have rules, to be out in like, the ocean a few miles. Okay, <laughs> right, exactly. Like like international rules apply above a certain mm-hmm. height. You know. Ah, <laughs> uh, okay. Because I, mean, I, I thought, okay, maybe the city's dead, but they've constructed this. Um, this I'm assuming everyone up above. there needs a place to live, which might be down there. But okay, yeah. <laughs> uh, back to the the Burnham getting high thing. Nikon Akit reminds us of when Burnham was like, "I have a red-haired friend. Do not give this to her." <laughs> that was so good. It's like, oh yeah, Tilly on this is not good. Th- That'd be fun to watch, though. I, mean- I don't know. Might be a little much. Might be a little much. <laughs> uh, to your question about our favorite sequences or are the most fun, I think in the very beginning, I was just completely riveted by uh, by first the the space chase scene with Book and, and the the bounty hunter, and then the collision by followed by Michael Burnham. Um, rushing and struggling to reboot her system as she's crash landing onto the planet only to the the very last minute be able to uh, pull everything together, crash all the way up through her quickly recalibrating the entire uh, system and shooting it back up into the wormhole. That whole thing was so fast paced and so intense. So like the visuals were incredible Mm -hmm. and I was just engaged through the whole thing that I was like, the rest of this episode could be garbage, Mike, and I'm still on board. (laughs) <laughs> why do you call me out Brent? <laughs> i just i i really loved it um what did y'all think of the what is a temporal worm is that what they were called 
the the thing that ate the the people? Not to reference Star Wars again, but um, when I first saw it sitting there, my first thought was Jabba the Hutt. <laughs> like when it was kind of curled up, I was like, "What is that?" Oh, they have um, a worm that's kind of like this in the Rise of Skywalker too. Uh, and then the heroes make friends with it as well. Yeah. It, Did- I don't know. I I I don't know that transworm, it, transworm. Yeah, transworm. I don't know that it partially swallowing Burnham was necessary, right? Uh, especially since it spat her out facing the opposite direction. Well, she I, flip over I her body that was over inside of it. Fun and funny. Yeah. Well, it's the great. issue. The issue. The main for character me, eat her and spit her out. Good time. Well, the the issue for me was it quickly ate and devoured the other people. Uh-huh. But when it ate her, it was able just to kind of hold on to her hole for a little while because she was in there for a minute and then spit her out. It <laughs> that, just it seemed a read, little unnecessary. That read that read OK with me because the worm hesitated before it swallowed her because it saw that it was she was there with book. Yeah. And the worm is probably like, maybe I shouldn't. Chew maybe I'll this just hold so her quickly. in this pouch here for a second. Yeah. You know, maybe book says, effect. OK, I'll chew her up. Yeah. <laughs> Very, very good uh, comedic timing by that worm. Yeah. <laughs> Didn't we see a similar worm-like creature in Lower Decks in one of the first few episodes? Mm-hmm. Like, uh, when uh, yeah. like they're on that spidery, planet with the trees? Yeah. Was it spidery? Uh, yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah. I was just thinking, is that supposed to be the same creature? But mm-hmm. I couldn't fully remember how that was animated. Yeah, people are talking about their number of worms in sci-fi. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> Dune, and it, all about the worms. I, I was yeah. thinking Tremors, actually. I know it's not a very good one, but no, there great. are a lot of worms. Oh, yeah, yeah. Dune. Did you, I, anyway, I could go on a tangent about special effects. It took like a year to build one of the worms in Dune. I, heard, I, I read that the other day. Isn't that wild? The, the new Dune? Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay, um, do you guys want to dive into some of these comments? Let's get to it. Let's do it. All right, Wakanda Customer Service says... Discovery has touched on environmental issues in the past with the spore drive. Wasn't there a whole thing about how the spore drive kills subspace mycelia? What will Book think about that? You're absolutely right, Wakanda customer service. And it makes me wonder, are we going to use a spore drive? Because it has been established that it really uh, is destructive to the mycelial, the inhabitants of the mycelial network. And also, we have a uh, animal lover and environmentalist as a main character now. So that's going to s- set up some conflict with him, isn't it? Yeah, that'll be really interesting to see how they move forward with it. Because I don't, if, if you all watched the like coming up on this season mm-hmm. preview that they gave at the end. So, spoiler alert if anyone did not watch that. Um, but one of our, our new characters is sort of surveying the spore drive engineering room and is commenting about how it's such old technology. So perhaps they have figured out a way to safely do it at this point. Cause I do see they have uh, Stamets using a new interface to navigate. Like he's dipping his hands in Mm -hmm. some weird gooey stuff. It's like goo. It's like Uh, no no more nipples juicing. Maybe we just had to put like a gooey like barrier between the ship and the mycelial network. Okay. Yeah. That's a good way to, write themselves out of that hole. I yeah. like that. Yeah. <laughs> I, you know, I'm really interested in seeing what other races we come in contact with, right? Because we haven't heard anything about Vulcans, Romulans, or Klingons at this point. So there's just, I mean, when you jump a thousand years into the future or 930, um, it's still pretty exciting to see what's left. So there's so much to discover. <laughs> oh, the- get out. Thank you, thank you. Can we wow. kick him as well? No. no. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, I think there's a lot for us to explore um, in this season. Uh, before we go to our next question, I, I kind of want to discuss a little bit about Burnham's um, self-therapy and her her uh, <laughs> under her poppers kinda, yeah, her, oh, yeah her peeling apart these these layers about herself and recognizing that she uh can she's no longer gonna be a i thought one of my favorite lines was her saying i am done being a reflexively supporter <laughs> or what, uh, <laughs> reflexively supportive or whatever she said but uh yeah what would you guys kind of make of her kind of delving into a lot of what her issues are 
under the influence of this drug rather than giving answers and how that kind of peeled apart layers of her character. I like it because at the beginning of this episode, what happens? We get Burnham screaming reboot, 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 and we're getting a reboot of the series. Like Mariah, you told me this earlier. She's telling us we're rebooting the show a little Mm -hmm. bit, but I think we're also getting to reboot Burnham a little bit. She is in a new, a whole new world. She's alone. She has to adapt and change. And she's not, she is under some pressure and stress, obviously, but she does not have the weight of the world on her shoulders like she did in previous episodes. She can largely learn how to be a new person in this new environment. So I think um, this frees up the writers to do something different with Burnham. Uh Uh, So, and I think... Uh, starting that in this episode with her being a little self-reflexive and talking or talking out loud about things she might not like about herself or want to improve or change or just get rid of. I think that's a good way to start it. And it was funny. I think she went full military training. Like that to me was Mm -hmm. like the most obvious, uh, like, like I saw her military training taking action because if you've ever, um, like if you are interrogated as like a spy or as like intelligence, like you are not supposed to share any incriminating details about anything. And so what is not incriminating? And she's like under this drug. And so I think she's like, okay, I can't share anything actually important. Mm. What can I talk about? I'm going to just talk about my feelings and like, just take these guys for a loop. And like, yes, she's probably more in touch with those feelings because of the drugs. But I totally saw someone who was like, I cannot tell you anything yet because I have no idea if I am safe, if this dude is safe. I might still need this dude, so I'm not going to give anything away. I'm just going to talk bobbledygook. Like <laughs> <laughs> that is such a good point. Yeah. And uh, I mean, she brings up the point about how she feels that she is overly supportive. She talks about um, compensating for way too many things in her actions, and I, in a way, it kind of felt like oh. Like, you know, the writers are clearly aware of how they write her and how they mm-hmm. they push her in a direction. How would she react to this situation? And how is that overall detrimental to her that she's constantly such a sacrificial lamb for others because mm-hmm. she's putting them before her own personal needs? Yeah. But she's aware of this. She recognizes this. And, you know, I, I thought that it's weird juxtaposition for us to follow up on the heels of Lower Decks with this show just tonally like that one's so comedic and and balls out there zany. And this one is a really self-serious action sci-fi show. And yet I saw a lot of parallels here in the, these people kind of coming to grips with themselves, especially in the end with um, Mariner kind of being introspective and recognizing, um, flaws in herself in areas where she needs to grow and then here we get it right away in the first episode with burnham kind of exploring this and in a way i I felt like that was a good way to kind of ground myself and and find uh a common area in both of these in what in what trek is doing thematically yeah and that's that's what i'm saying The the writers have an opportunity to write burnham to evolve the character of burnham right and i think that's what that's what they're going to do this season. That's what we're, they're doing largely. Because we're building show. her up to be the, the leader. We'll oh, see. yeah. Do y'all think it's going to be Burnham or Saru as the captain by the end of this season? He's going to be her captain. She's going to be Admiral, right? It's going to be, it's going to be Riker. <laughs> Riker! Riker just shows up at, at the in. end of every episode in season three and saves but, everybody. And they just give him the captain's chair. But seriously, that's that's the other thing I don't, I feel like we didn't fully touch on is... The end scene, she comes into what is now the remnants of Starfleet, as far as she's aware. There's two ships within that sector, within the radius mm-hmm. of what he could search, that are, are flying around there that are Starfleet. And otherwise, it's her and him, and she's a ranking officer. Mm-hmm. She kind of steps up. She anoints him as the new Starfleet uh, communications, whatever he is. Acting communication director, yeah. And... She's ranking officer, right? She's ranking officer probably with the most experience of even those two ships, very likely. So in the time between now and when Discovery shows up, she might be 
Starfleet and making it in the image of what she sees fit. I mean, technically, though, by that logic, the most senior officer is Giorgio. She's oldest, though, right now. I mean, but Giorgio <laughs> literally was right? um, an emperor in the in, in her. Well, yeah, but not in Starfleet. Right. What was her her like rank at Section Thirty One? Mm, mm. But that's that off the be. books, baby. It's not going to yeah. work. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I see. I see what you're saying about Burnham. I definitely think she is going to be. Well, that's we're going to get a lot of what mm, what we saw in season one with the Discovery crew reminding the universe what Starfleet can be, what the Federation can be. But this time, they're really like physically going to be building it back up. Yeah, I wonder how much they're going to go into what if it's not just about the Discovery ship and its wacky adventures in space, but what if it's reestablishing Starfleet in full across the galaxy? Mm-hmm. And, I think that's where we're going. And what do we? how do we do that with people who are extremely principled versus what is presumably the initial establishment, which had a lot of uh, bureaucracy and a lot of opportunism that still was underlying it. I mean, I think we saw a little bit of that in Picard. Like there is, there are still a lot of problems with Starfleet, with any kind of organization and any kind of power system. But maybe yeah. these people I mean, that on the ship of discovery are such idealists that they can kind of uh, make a system that transcends that. I, yeah, I think what would be ideal for me to see is like this, interesting representation of how when a system of government doesn't work for you, like maybe it is time to burn it down to the ground and rebuild it and see what happens. Right. Um, Personally, I'd love to see that happen in real life. Um, (laughs) And I think it would be interesting, more interesting to see Saru as the captain, honestly, because then we could get Burnham going out and like creating the Federation. Like she is this new ambassador, right. Um, Kind of, stepping almost into the same role as ambassador Sarek, like her, her stepdad um, and sort of taking that role on. And I think that would be far more interesting to me personally to see sort of play out as the show continues is something more along those lines. Also, we apparently get to the point where Saru can shoot darts out of his face. Did y'all see that in the preview? Kind of awesome. (laughs) You know, I tend to agree with you a little bit, Mariah. Um, I think where we're now from a sci-fi genre standpoint is a bit post-apocalyptic, right? There's a rebuilding of the world that has to take place. And in that world, I think you want Burnham out in it. Okay. Um, If we were talking about this continuing to be a space opera where the primary set was the ship and the ships interacting with other ships and other species, then I want Burnham in the chair. But I don't think that's what we're going to get. I think we've moved away from that notion. And so as much as I've been wanting to see her in that big chair, I don't think it's going to happen. And I don't know that I want it to happen in this environment. Maybe season four. Yeah. I, I pulled up the comment from uh, Takako, uh, who's saying similarly, uh, the, the problems of Burnham necessarily being tied to mm-hmm. the ship mm-hmm. versus how much more freedom and liberty I think it would give the show if she has the opportunity to explore elsewhere. Yeah. Yeah. I think but they're we're breaking apart the band. <laughs> <laughs> I think we're definitely going to be more um, planet bound this yeah. season. Yeah. We've seen a lot, like in mm-hmm. the previews, they've been, it's, it seems like they do a lot more work on planets, which I'm very excited for because I love when we get yeah. to world build like that in these different episodes. And, and based on this first one, I think they're all going to look just fantastic. It seems like the tougher thing to do, right? We're we're a thousand years into the future, and they have to come up with what does that look like on these alien planets? What does the new iteration of Star Trek look like in a physical world, not just in space? It's a little harder to create actual environments. Um, so that's going to be a, a fun challenge to watch this so, season. So here's a question for you guys. So this has been going on kind of a, in the chat. Did any of you think that the, you know, Mr. Sahil, the communications director, did you think he was a hologram? For a second I did, but but he was sleeping and waking up, so maybe not. 
That was kind of my thought. But mm-hmm. but yeah, it, it felt like it could be. I was looking for him to age a little bit, see if I could But I think that by out. the end, it was pretty clear that he's he's a dude. Mm-hmm. Yep. Did, did you guys feel that Burnham was paying lip service to this guy or that get that guy truly embodied everything that is Starfleet. Oh, that, he's Starfleet, dude. Yeah. I mean, you, you got up day after day and sat in that chair waiting for something. That type of commitment, you Starfleet through and through, buddy. Yeah, Starfleet's all about sitting in chairs waiting. <laughs> I, I do <laughs> kind think of is. There... That's what I've been doing right here. It was more to say that his dedication is Starfleet yeah. rather than like, oh, Indeed. your sense of adventure, like whatever. There's all these different ways to right? That's what's beautiful about Starfleet. There's all these different ways to be Starfleet. Um, and he was a good representation of one. Yeah. Also, just probably her feeling of meeting someone who's it's like when you meet a fellow Trekkie and you realize that you're both really big nerds about the same thing. You know, they are both really big nerds about the Federation and they were bonding. He, he says the line, our numbers are few, our spirit undiminished. And I thought that was a pretty good line. Yeah, it's a good one. Very good. All right, guys. I think we're all pretty positive on this episode. Anything else you want to say about it? It's back. It's, it's awesome. Back. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm so excited for all of it, all the things. I'm excited for part two, which is apparently not called part two, or I don't know. Next week is called Far From Home. So I was like, Hmm. why did you? So I'm like, is maybe they haven't updated the titles based on that? Yeah. Does that mean that Spider-Man's going to be in this one? (laughs) (laughs) All right. Thank you so much for joining the pod this week, everybody. Remember, you can find us live on YouTube every Thursday, talking Trek, and of course, covering every single episode of discovery season three every thursday night um mariah can you tell everyone where to subscribe to the pod yes so you can find us wherever you get your podcasts however if you could give us a five-star rating and leave us a review on apple Podcasts, we would appreciate it let us know what you like about the show let us know what your hot freak is about star trek pod uh and you can find links to all of this at star trek pod.co and uh, I want to go ahead and remind you guys, if you've been watching our show for a while, long time lurker, never really made that that jump over to joining us over on Patreon, I think now is the time. Go to patreon.com slash Star Trek pod, make your per episode pledge and join us over on our Slack channel. Give us two bucks an episode and you, jo- you get the invite. Come join us over there. We're all talking Trek and I think you'll really find a much more enriched experience going through this third season when you have a, a, such a tight knit family that we are getting to talk about all, all things Trek. Once again, that is patreon.com slash star Trek pod. Hey, and I just want to say, do you tweet? Are you on the gram? If you do any of those things, check us out, Twitter and Instagram at star Trek pod. And please tweet about our episode. Tell people what you loved your hot freak. Um, and what you liked about our show. So uh, also, as always, I want to give a shout out to two people who help us out every single week. Karen, who runs our Twitter, and James Worm, who helps out on our Insta. Thank you. Thank you, thank you. And again, thanks everybody so much for joining us. Come back next Thursday, 9 p.m. Central. We'll be talking about episode two of Disco Season 3. Mariah, where can people find you online? I'm at Mariah Gossett on all platforms. That's Mariah with a Y and a Gossett with two S's and two T's. All right, Clyde. You can find me at Clyde Haynes on Twitter. You can find me on the web at www.keyandclyde.com. That's K-E-I and Clyde.com. All right, Grant. At Baron Von Grant. Find me on Twitter at Mike M. Garcia. Vote for Biden, live long, and prosper. Bye.